Hello and welcome to episode 94 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Again, uh, this is not going to be as long as an episode as last week, but I do have my co-host here again. Hello, Adam. Hello. <laughs> so for this week's episode, um, since this is the last day of April that I'm recording on, we're going to go over a lot of the stuff coming up in the future for comics, especially um, be especially free comic book day too. If you are looking to find the Jessica Cruz um, spring podcast special, which is due at the end of April here, uh, due to my work schedule, things it's it's ready to be recorded. I just need to record it and post it, but that'll probably be towards the end of the first week or mid first week of May, just because that's how the cards fell with uh, schedules and things. But anyway, on this episode, we will be talking about the tarot card of the week. It's the number six, the chariot. We have some fun things about that, including pop culture references and connections. Our manga this week is going to be led by, uh, our manga of the week this week will be led by Adam, and it is Demon Slayer, which I'm sure a lot of people are very familiar with as it is. If you're not, then now you will be. There's a little bit of manga news, and I will not be going over the full manga <laughs> releases for the month of May, because there's 180 of them coming in English, but I do have a link uh, to where you can find that full list. And for comic books, we do have some nice um, recent reads and catch-ups for comics, including Ambassadors number 3, uh, some w the summary of the Karen Powers stuff that was happening as the B story in Action Comics recently, um, the end of Lovesick, the end of this arc of Grimm, which is going on hiatus, and then uh, the second issue of Doctor Strange, which was actually... Very Clea involved, uh, which you know if you're at all familiar with this podcast that I am kind of the Clea pro. I've read her history forwards and backwards, not literally, but you know, I could. Um, <laughs> I know everything there is to know pretty much about Clea. Um, and then for comic book news, there's some fun stuff that's recently come out. And Adam's going to talk about the recent Zeb Wells Spider-Man run, uh, which I'm excited <laughs> for you guys to hear about uh, because it seems that everybody kind of feels the same way who has been a Spider-Man fan and has been reading that. So that'll be really entertaining. Um, and then we'll talk some of the kickoffs, the number ones and one shots coming from various publishers in May and it being the end of the month they release the solicitations for July comics I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that are coming in July um, highlights of the solicitations series announcements events and such and then we have free comic book day this coming Saturday May 6th uh, we'll talk about what Free Comic Book Day is and what you can uh, get as far as free comic books go from your local comic book shop. And finally, for comics, what is coming out this coming week, the 3rd of May. Whew. After all that, it'll be uh, some new and noteworthy TV and talk about all of those uh, shows and things coming for the spring anime season. We have some fun announcements, if very briefly. It's more news stuff. Um, briefly, the new Flashpoint, or I guess it's just the Flash trailer. I always think about it as Flashpoint uh, coming from DC. Uh, some anime news, and that'll be today's episode. So it will be a little bit shorter, even though my rundown just then was pretty extensive. If you want to follow myself or Adam on social media, our all our social media stuff will be in the description below, as well as for my website, YouTube channel, uh, where I do action figure review videos and all other, all kinds of other fun stuff. I actually have a Huntress 
video that I need to put up there, and I haven't haven't remembered to post it yet, but uh, it'll be up there in a Huntress review video, uh, hopefully by the time that you listen to this episode. Kicking off the week is our Tarot Lessons, featuring the card of the week for the Major Arcana, which is number six, the Chariot. I really enjoyed doing the history last week um, for the lover's card. I don't have as much history because that was pretty long. Uh, but just for fun, I went back to Tarot Heritage and found uh, the website that I got last week's info from and found the information about this card. And it is kind of fun in my opinion. So we'll go over some of that before we talk about the actual physically what is necessarily on the card and what all that symbolizes. So uh, the history of the chariot does span 5,000 thousand years of the chariot card uh, from the Assyrian war chariots to Roman triumphs, Renaissance spectacles, literary allegories, and ethereal platonic realms. There's going to be quite a bit of reference to Plato in this, and I will definitely be explaining that as we go along. But one image remains consistent, the victorious hero elevated above the crowd, enjoying acclaim for his or her achievements. The chariot card celebrates the triumph of individual will, the courage to face challenges head-on, and the confidence to pursue one's goals. Your basic history for the chariot card starts when, more or less, Alexander the Great ended the era of the war chariot of Persia and Assyria by defeating them in 331 BCE. So that's 331 years before, you know, we started counting time forwards. Not we started, but, you know, in a historical sense. After defeating the Persian emperor Darius for control of Syria and the Levant, Alexander marched to Egypt, kicking off his rule of Egypt and thusly starting the reign of his dynasty, the Ptolemies, which we all know ended with Cleopatra, the seventh, 300 years later. I think her reign lasted until about 30 BC, I want to say. There was parades became holy in the... Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Renaissance parades were inspired by the games of tarot and replayed often Roman victories. Then parades became holy in the Middle Ages after that. Now, the... <laughs> is it Bologna or is it Bologna? It's Bologna, right? Uh, the, the, the place, not the food. <laughs> um, anyway, Bologna, that sounds really weird to say, <laughs> has had a consistent tarot tradition from the early 16th century to the present. Their charioteer is elevated under the sky, as in previous Florentine cards. He wields the sword and globe of a ruler, and his winged helmet is derived from images of Roman triumphators, which I don't think is actually a word. The horses appear fused at the haunches, as in the Tarot de Marseille. Chariots from the French transition period, before the deck settled into the Tarot de Marseille pattern, are often small, fanciful, and decorative. They seem more appropriate for a Sunday drive in the park than for carrying a triumphant prince through the city streets. The Tarot de Marseille's chariot has remained virtually unchanged for nearly 400 years. The magician and occultist Elphias, Eliphas, Eliphas Levi, I keep saying, El, I want to say Elphias all the time, but it's not, it's Eliphas Levi, uh, who I've talked about before. He had a tremendous influence on how subsequent chariot cards were imagined after he did his. In his 1855 book, Transcendental Magic, what a name, he tries. He describes the, tri- the trump cards and provides images for the devil and the chariot. He actually was a fantastic artist, let's be honest. His description of the chariot card, a cubic chariot with four pillars and an azure, and which is, you know, blue, and starry 
drapery in the chariot a victor crowned with a circle adorned with three radiant golden pentagrams he goes on to describe several details that deviate from the traditional tarot de marseille occultist oswald worth created a chariot card nearly identical to levi's description with its array of symbols from masonry alchemy astronomy the bible and numerology the only difference are the obviously female sphinxes a larger canopy and wheels at a more realistic angle in his writings worth emphasized plato's spiritualized chariot which again we're about to get to the plato part here the story of plato and the chariot the chariot card designed by British occultist A.E. Waite, of course, which we know as the Rider-Waite-Smith one, and artist P.C. Smith, circles back to its Italian origins. Waite brings Worth's spiritualized chariot down to earth by insisting that the charioteer is not a spiritual being. He's the victorious hero or otherworldly prince dominating the physical world that we all live in. Smith depicts this world in her distinctive style as a walled city in the background. To give the physical description of what the traditional chariot card looks like these days, uh, based off the Rider-Waite-Smith card, it's just uh, the victorious hero sitting usually there in the squared-off chariot with the two sphinxes, one black and one white, uh, pulling in opposite directions. And there's a few artistic details as well, including they're wearing a crown of stars and moons, decorating their armor showing celestial influences is what the particular term is and the victory and success alongside their spiritual evolution they hold a wand in wand in their hands instead of reins which is showing control through the will of their mind as opposed to the physical body the image is seen usually as straight on unlike the triumphi chariot cards of uh, i believe it was italy which had force perspective. The chariot is pulled by two sphinxes. They are black and white, pulling in opposite directions. The charioteer must exert their will on them to move their ride. This duality was solidified in the Tarot de Marseilles. Background, the city is in the background, who the figure dominates over. And the crescent moons on their armor represent what is coming into being. There's also a square design on their tunic, which symbolizes their strength of will, and other alchemical symbols throughout the picture, which all symbolize spiritual transformation. The dark and light sphinxes, or as they were previously, horses, the origin of that for the Terra de Marseille comes from the, the, the old Plato story. So this is the Plato story. Showing a darker horse looking at the lighter horse may be a reference to Plato's concept of the human soul, which he describes in his dialogue Phaedrus. Phaedrus, yeah. Plato compared the soul to a chariot with two horses. The pure souls of the gods were light chariots pulled by winged white horses. Human soul chariots start out with winged horses, but as the chariots pulled toward earth by the horse's material attachments, their wings fall off. Earthbound chariots have a white, noble horse that obeys verbal commands, and a dark horse that is unruly, driven by passions and nearly impossible to control. After a struggle of wills between the charioteer and the unruly horse, the darker horse learns to look to the nobler horse for leadership. Therefore, the darker horse on the tarot card is shown looking at the lighter horse. That's the theory behind uh, why that those symbols are in the cards at all. 
Also in this sequence of cards, the chariot card is always following the lovers and comes after the initial series of cards that are sometimes interpreted as parents, church, and indoctrination with society's norms, which are all the cards that we did previously, you know, the emperor, the empress, the hierophant, all that. Charioteers have reached that stage in life where they fall in love for the first time, get their first job and apartment, and start separating from their families. They dare to move out from their comfort zone and pursue their goals and dreams. The interpretation of the tarot card of the chariot, when you get that in a drawing, is pretty much as follows, and this is from the Biddy Tarot site. The chariot is a card of willpower, determination, and strength. You have discovered how to make decisions in alignment with your values with the lover's card, and now you are taking actions on those decisions. When the chariot appears in a tarot reading, take it as a sign of encouragement. You have set your objectives, and you are now challenging your inner faith, inner power with a fierce dedication to bring them to fruition. When you apply discipline, commitment, and willpower to achieve your goals, you will succeed. Now isn't the time to be passive in the hope that things will work out in your favor. Take focused action and stick to the course no matter how, what challenges come your way, because, believe me, there will be challenges. But the chariot is an invitation to draw upon your willpower and hone, hone, in, hone in on what's essential to you so you can push past the obstacles in your way. If you are curious about whether you have what it takes to achieve your aim or complete an important project, the chariot is a sign you will be successful as long as you keep your focus and remain confident in your abilities. You need to you need to use your willpower and self-discipline to concentrate on the task at hand. You can't cut quarters or take the easy route. You will fail. Instead, see this endeavor as a test of your strength and conviction and recognize that victory is within reach, but it's up to you to follow through. The chariot calls you to assert yourself and be courageous. Be bold in expressing your desires and laying down your boundaries. Otherwise, you will not get your way. You will have. You need to have faith in yourself and know fundamentally you are wh who you are and what you stand for, thus building off the personal belief systems and values that you established previously through the lover's card. In a very literal sense, the chariot can represent travel, especially driving or taking a road trip. So... I, th I think that one's pretty clear how this one can be interpreted as a um, just a, just a very recognizable um, way of looking at a situation differently, maybe. Or I think in this case, a better way to say that would be uh, this is a card that very much like pushes you forward. And I mean, if we're looking at the wording of this uh, in this particular take uh, from Biddy Tarot, it says you will be successful as long as you keep keep your focus and remain confident in your abilities. Well, you can really say that about anything, can't you? That you'll be successful in it as long as you keep your focus and remain confident. That's the first two steps in anything, in becoming successful at anything. So it's really just, um, in my mind, I guess it's just a card about uh, encouragement. And that doesn't have to have anything supernatural or um hippy dippy whatever terms you want to use it doesn't have to have any of that it's just encouragement as for the couple of pop culture things that uh, refer to the chariot we have natasha iglesias's anime tarot where she goes through and assigns anime archetypes um to the various tarot cards and it's super fun and a really great teaching tool and learning the cards uh for the chariot she has the big brother 
The chariot's analog in anime is the big brother. This character may encounter challenges, but he never stops trying to be there for those in in his charge. He wants everyone to maintain their momentum and their confidence in their ability to reach their goals. A role model of conviction, support, and encouragement, he'll always have their back, help them move forward, or have faith in them. Some of the examples that she gives for the big brother in anime is Edward Elric from Full Metal Alchemist, Itachi from Naruto, Tanjiro from Demon Slayer, which of course is our anime of the week, or manga of the week, I guess. <laughs> uh, Lelouch Lamperouge from Code Geass. I don't I know how to say that one. I've never watched it. Portgas the Ace from One Piece. Um, Haru Kaido from Super Lovers and Yukio Okumaru, Okumura, I said that backwards, from Ao no Exorcist. Yes, I know my pronunciations are still terrible. We're working on it. In 2007's The Marvel Tarot, uh, it was a journal, it's a fictional journal written by some Marvel character uh, about various magical things. And he goes through a bunch of tarot cards and assigns them. Well, he doesn't assign them, he uh, sees what character or what um being i guess from the marvel universe each card kind of portrays itself as for the chariot it is eric simon aka the devil slayer sorry eric simon Payne. he's got three names the devil slayer it says eric simon Payne was known for disappearing into the twists and folds of his dimension warping shadow cloak but about a decade ago he slips into the shadows for what seemed like the last time Perhaps the recent rise in diabolical activity presented a reason for him to return. Whatever the motive, the pain is back. <laughs> and he is appearing, sorry, that was funny. He is appearing on the chariot card. Always driven by his own set of demons, the Devil Slayer would, some, would seem to be an appropriate subject for this card, which can indicate discipline, but also destruction. Which is quite a... Um, I guess, unique take on it, I I suppose. I think the, the discipline destruction part was just some weird bit that um, Waite threw in at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of his description of what the card meant, just because he was trying to be cool. Because it doesn't really match up with the rest of it, but that's fine. And finally, we talked a little bit about how JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uses uh, tarot card names for their stands, their powers. Uh, we talked about that quite a bit in the past of these tarot lessons. And the chariot is one that is also referenced. <laughs> uh, the silver chariot is what his stand is. And the character is from Stardust Crusaders. What is his name? Uh, Jean-Pierre Polnareff. Thank you. The Frenchman. Nice. So his stand is a silver chariot, a reference to the chariot tarot card. Adam will be taking the lead on the manga of the week this week. It is Demon Slayer, which I will just go ahead and preface. I've seen the anime, not the new stuff, because I wait for the dubs. But um, <laughs> but he's read all of it, so he, he knows a thing about Demon Slayer. Go for it. Um, yes, uh, Demon Slayer, um, actually, you introduced me to the anime, and then I, right. kind of, I kind of went backwards. I did. Um, I guess she you had tried to watch it a couple times, or it took you a little... Yeah, it took me, like, three watches of the first, like, five episodes to have it catch me. Yeah, she, I came in at the, like, the best time. It's when, like, you first get introduced to Muzan, and he's, like, fucking these people oh, yeah. up in an alley. Yeah. Um, and I immediately went, like, this dude looks like Michael Jackson. In like, a <laughs> cool, like, demon way. 
Um, and then that kind of, we eventually watched all of it together. And then as we finished up the Entertainment District arc, I went down the rabbit hole of getting like hardcore into manga again. And this was, <laughs> this anime show manga is what did it. Um, I now own all 23 volumes of Demon Slayer. I've read all of them. Um, so if for people who are, it's, it's actually pretty, it's one of the few ones that like stays like pretty spot on to like the source material of where, of where it comes from. Um, but one of my favorite things about the, that gets expanded upon a little bit more in the manga is that it's the, it's kind of like the underlying theme of like people's inner demons of a lot of, you know, the inner demons, you know, take over them and then that's how basically Muzan comes and like manipulates them. So um, who is Muzan first Muzan, of all? Muzan, um... Oh, I mean, not... obviously I know, I'm just having you explain Yeah, I know, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's I'm not going to go into the full spoiler yeah, explanation yeah. of who Muzan is, but The stuff that I don't even know yet. Yeah, but so pretty much the gist of it is that he was, he's the very first demon. Like, he's the, the one that started it all. The father of all demons, is that what they call him? Yes, and basically what that means, he's the first one to come from it, and so any demon ever stems from him, meaning that you cannot become a demon unless he approves of it, and the way that comes is you actually, pretty much it's a blood transfusion. Like, he puts his blood in you, and then you in turn get the demon DNA. Um, it's, it's, it's along the same lines of, um, uh, like, how they are, they can't go in the daytime. It's kind of like vampires in that kind of way. <laughs> Um, and Muzan's whole thing is he wants to test somebody who can become a demon and still go in the daytime. That's his only thing left to conquer. Um, what is it? It's been like a thousand, like a thousand years. I want to say like a thousand years of like demons running rampant, uh, taking over everything. Um, and people can't travel out at nighttime normally. Um, oh, so, uh, so basically it just starts off with the kid Tanjiro. Everybody knows all about that. Um, so yeah, to pick up on the themes and tones of Demon Slayer that I really enjoyed about that the the manga really expands upon is um is like you know these people like succumbing to their inner demons. One of them was uh he was an alcoholic, um but the one that I really enjoyed was um the drummer guy. Uh, you saw him in season one pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wanted to be a musician. Um, and then his whole thing was is that nobody thought his music was good. Nobody appreciated it. Um, but then as he's fighting Tanjiro, Tanjiro doesn't step on his music sheets. And then Tanjiro, like, realizes, oh, yeah, this is, like, nice music written on here. Um, and it's kind of this whole thing that, that he hears that, and the demon just kind of breaks down and, like, starts memori- like remembering what it was to be a human. And, like, oh, yeah, that was what it would have taken for me to not go down this deep, dark path. Um, and that's kind of where the character Muzan comes in and just kind of manipulates everyone and gets him to do his plan. Um, yeah, is there anything you... Wanted to add or thought of uh, the two. Just from, yeah, the thing, yeah, it. the thing that I always thought was fun was the two sets of um, two sets of opposites. I don't really know how you would say it, but it's the 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 upper twelve rank demon, right? Something yeah, like the, that. the upper and six then, and the Hashira, and then yeah, the upper six and the Hashira. Yeah, that's the two. I thought it was cool that there was this two opposing groups of like pros, the best demons, and then the best demon slayers, which are the Hashira, which is what Tanjiro ends up. Um, becoming wanting to be like the best ever at and goes on thought to kill the the demons. Um, who's your favorite Hashira? Uh, definitely Giyu. He is the one you get uh, introduced to. Um, uh, as he's actually the one that like, and you kind of get started with the Tanjiro story with him running into it, and that's how Tanjiro mm, realizes right, yeah. that. Oh yeah, I can actually fight these demons, and then um, because normally like if it was any other Hashira, their whole thing is they probably would have killed Nezuko and him there. But right. some something in Giyu was like, I will give this kid a chance. Um, 
I just like Giyu because his demeanor, it's, it's, I don't know, kind of like, I, I really relate to that in a way of just kind of, I'm here, you know, I kind of blank face chill. Um, and I also love the water breathing. Uh, it makes me think of a uh, Bruce Lee just being like water. And that's what very much the sword style is. Like whenever, um, Giyu uses water breathing in the full forms, it's kind of, he just moves fle- f- freely and just like flowing nicely and just kind of one quick sword stroke. Um, um, and one of the things I like to describe about Demon Slayer and the character of Tanjiro um, is is the Peter Parker syndrome, um, mm-hmm. where it's like he is so good to where it's it's almost to a fault, you know, like he he's always constant. His whole thing is he looks out for others before himself because eventually what you do for others will come back, you know, to help you out. Basically, the whole term of um paying it forward. Um, and I always I've always had this joke. I think me and you have said it. I think mm-hmm. I said it to you one time of like. If Tanjiro and Peter like ever went to lunch together, they would literally get into a fight of who was paying for it because it's like, no, let me pay for it. I got you. No, I'll help you out. No, I'll pay for it. <laughs> um, and you really see a lot of that, and that's like a, a constant theme uh, with with the show as well. Is that a lot of these these other Hashira and, and swordsmen that he meets haven't really had like the kind of compassion that he has or seen it, the understanding of putting others before myself will help me succeed the things that I need to to do to succeed. Um, it's kind of like the whole thing of when you see, when you become successful, you want to bring everybody else up on that ladder with you. Um, so it's really cool that like how the characters interact with Tanjiro and how he's like that, you know, um, you're starting to see it a lot in this new season of season three, um, of like, they're used to just being like these hardcore badass swordsmen. And then they meet somebody like Tanjiro, who's going around the village, thanking people like, like (laughs) genuinely thanking people. Oh, thank you so much for this wonderful meal. Oh, thank you so much for this wonderful thing. And then it's kind of, Oh, Oh yeah, I, we, we, we can do that. You know, it's, it's funny to see that they, they would think that, you know, Tanjiro would be just as hard and as cold and as they are because they went through the same things. But Tanjiro is still just a smiling kid who wants to help out everybody, even though he's literally lost his whole family and all he has left is his like demon sister. Um, so yeah, it's kind of something to take forward and kind of like appreciate. And I think that's kind of why I gravitated towards the manga a lot because it really leans into that. Someday I'll read it. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of points of manga news before we move into all of those comic lists that I'm going to have for you. Um, Cells at Work, we've talked about before. It's pretty funny. It's getting some new spinoffs. Even more spinoffs. It's already got so many. Uh, these new two spinoffs, though, one is about medicine and one, more excitingly, is about cats. So I might actually read that one. Uh, the Cells at Work was originally created by Akane Shimizu, Shimizu. Um, and these two new versions are going to start in the July, no, yes, the July issue of Kodansha's monthly Shonen series, which I guess comes out on May 25th. Um, and we do not have, we do have the, sorry, we do have the creators who are doing the writing for the cat story. It is Choko Aozora and Meku Kaire. Sorry, again. And then for the medicine one, it's Koma Warita. I can just not read, can I? And Ryukuji. So there you go. Uh, also, My Sister the Cat is going to have its third and volume, final volume, July 18th, published by Seven Seas. This is by Senko, and it is painfully cute. I adore it. It's only got 
going to have the three volumes. So when that comes out in July, I will finally talk about My Sister the Cat as manga of the week. Then Demon Girl Next Door is returning from hiatus on May 26th by Izumo Ito. Uh, I've seen the the anime, so I should probably catch up on the manga. I think there's 80 some odd chapters, uh, and it had gone on hiatus last October due to the creator's health reasons. If you want to see the list for manga releases coming out in May, you can go to otakucalendar.com or use the link in my description for all 180 releases that are going to be coming out in May. That's just that's too many. I already have enough stuff I'm listing off. Going into comic books, we'll start with catching up on recent comic books. That's going to include the Karen Powers story in Action Comics, Hairball, Harley Quinn, The Ambassadors, Doctor Strange, Lovesick, and Grimm. Starting off with the Karen Powers story in Action Comics, it's not really the appropriate name to give it, though, is it? We'll have to say the Power Girl story, because... Uh, she actually does tell John in this issue that she does not like being called Karen, that that was just a name that she'd been given so that she could be differentiated from Kara, which is pretty much... You can you can see why she wouldn't like being called that. So uh, I believe it was 1043? I have no idea what issue this was for, I'm not going to lie. Um, but this was the last iteration of the Karen Powers, Power Girl, B story. Um, that was going in action comics after Lazarus Planet. Um, so we have this new character, Omen, who I'm certain is behind everything here somehow, because I don't know where she came from, really. But she's now a friend and an ally of Power Girls. Power Girl has that super cool new outfit that I really like, because um, it's like the opposite color design as Supergirls, which I think is a cool detail. Um, so in the last time, last issue, Supergirl came to her for help with, uh, cause I guess, uh, Power Girl has, like, psychic abilities now, so ego, ego, <laughs> Omen is there, uh, so I think of them similarly, Omen is there kind of training her with that, so Supergirl shows up and is like, she can't talk because she has this weird psychic block that somebody's attacking her psychically because they're trying to get to Supergirl is what they figure out. Sorry, Power Girl. Whew, they're trying to get to Power Girl through Supergirl. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so they they fix they uh, they fix Kara, Supergirl's ability to speech ability. And in this issue, um, she is Power Girl is trying to get a jump on the villain who's looking for her, apparently, um, by going into John's mindscape and uh, trying to see if the villain was going to go there to try and find it. And she's right. It, it does work. Using him as bait definitely does help get that villain to come out. His communication ability stops um, in the same kind of psychic attack, just like it did with Supergirl. Um, and what actually, it was kind of funny that she... Uh, they were they were able to put into it that John subconsciously censors his own swears. Mm -hmm. um, they told him, picture the words that you say in a bubble in, a, in, in clouds and it'll appear above your head because they're in his mindscape, but he couldn't talk anymore. So he pictures the words and it's got the curse words bleeped out. <laughs> subconsciously censors himself. I think that's hilarious. And so very much the son of Superman. <laughs> Um, so then they talk a little bit. That's when she tells him she doesn't like being called Karen after they kind of fix his ability to speak. Um, and they, they start by calling her, he starts by calling her Peej, which was P-G, 
Power Girl. He's like, okay, we'll call you Paige as like kind of a joke. Um, but then he's serious when he suggests Paige um, because oh, Paige is kind of like Paige, and what what's that? And she's like, okay, Paige is actually kind of cute. And then she finds the root of whatever it was that was attacking John's mind and pulls it out and pulls a character called Johnny Sorrow out of John's mind. Whoever that is, I don't know. Uh, but that will be continued in the uh, Power Girl special that's coming out, I want to say, in June. Hairball number one was a Dark Horse title from Matt Kint. Super weird. You're definitely supposed to be afraid of the cat or think the cat is a villain. The cat is definitely evil and doing all kinds of messed up stuff to this girl's family, but I somehow still want the cat to win. Uh, I think number two comes out this week as well. Harley Quinn on number 29. I'm still pretty surprised how much I like this creative team. Uh, especially post Leah Williams, which I really, really enjoyed. In this issue, Harley Quinn goes to Zaytana for help, which I'm genuinely a little bit confused about because I didn't think she and Zaytana were, like, really close buds, which is what this looked like. Um, but we'll see. Zaytana was hooking up with Constantine, which she turns him into a bunny to hide him, <laughs> which mm. was pretty funny. Um, and then she gives Harley a spell that would take her to the other dimension. Remember last issue, a lady from another dimension came to threaten her. Spell that will take her to the other dimension, uh, but tells her that to finish it, she has to kill something living that's important to her. As a reader, I think we all pretty much automatically went, oh, it's the plant. Because in the beginning of this issue, she talks about this plant that Ivy gave her before she left uh, that means so much to her. So yeah, obviously she's going to have to kill the plant. So she spends the rest of the issue trying to find somebody to kill before realizing that she can just kill the plant. Um, and so she does that. And it's not really a door to another dimension that appears, but it's Bud and Lou, her hyenas, from that dimension arrive and they tell her they're going to train her to use her new superpower so she doesn't break the universe which i don't know how i feel about that really but it's it's ridiculous and it did they did play up on her whole fear of kind of losing it again because when bud and lou start talking she convinces herself that she's losing it again and like freaks out and is like no i can't go down this path but then it turns out she's not imagining it or maybe she is i don't know I believe it is Image Comics that is giving us the ambassadors. Still really fun. This issue goes on about uh, a French mom and her son. Um, they end up being the next superpower people for some reason as a duo, even though her kid was um, low-key making threats to shoot up his school. But anyway, he, he goes and he drops the gun later so in the river, so theoretically that problem has been solved. <laughs> Uh, but they're also very poor um, before all this kind of goes down and become the superheroes of France. And so when, uh, as in the previous issue, the woman who gave them their powers, her ex-husband's people approach them with a lot of money, I definitely think that all of these people are going to end up betraying her and it's just going to be a total mess. There's also some dude named Jamie who apparently already had powers and he says when when he sees them he says i see dead people so that's that's probably not a good thing doctor strange number 2 has a classic um kind of a stanley steve ditko original era doctor strange strange tales sort of situation story um 
seemingly disconnected from the rest of the overarching story, whatever the heck that's going to end up being. Um, but it's basically Clea and Steven going into a child's... Well, going into the nightmare realm to find a child's missing astral soul. And I don't know if there's really an explanation in the end as to how that kind of happened. Um, but anyway, they do a lot of cool classic, you know, kind of crazy out there, other dimensional art stuff with this, which is nice. Can't say I really dig the artist. Um, I, I don't think... Like, if you've seen Phil Noto when he's phoning it in, this looked like somebody who was Phil Noto phoning it in at their best, and they were not at their best, like, at all in this issue. <laughs> it was, like, extremely loose, very loose art, and it was not not my favorite at all. Um, when they make it to the nightmare dimension, though, they both see each other... They both see each other um, as their biggest fears, which is totally a plot from Rick and Morty, I realized right away. Um, the couple fighting their spouse's biggest fear of themselves, right? <laughs> so for Clea, it's herself as like a full Dormammu-style Faltinian villain. Um, and then for Steven, it's like this decrepit corpse of a dude because he's like, you know... Time is different for him, so he and he's in a fresh body now too, which is like cheating. We all know, but whatever. Um, so they fight each other's fears, which I swear is a Rick and Morty plot. Kind of, kind of took what coolness out of it there might have been when I realized that, but oh well. And also, Clea's outfit is different again. I believe she had a skirt in this kind of similar top half of the outfit in the last issue but now it's pants which I guess you could argue is like her home versus work outfit I don't know uh, and then they find that Nightmare has been tortured almost to death in his own dimension and I think they just kind of leave him there when they find the kid's soul and that doesn't, I don't know if that really gets resolved um, but then when they get back Clea still has her like mild fears because her desires for things are very different than how Steven does things like she's the sorcerer supreme of the uh dark dimension she she's half faultinian um and half from the dark dimension so she's she's got a bit of a, a violent streak in her i guess would be the way to say that brutal streak uh but she just keeps this kind of silent fear that that's going to cause an issue in their relationship to herself which of course we all know will be the cause of the i mean that's always how it goes these self-fulfilling prophecies folks uh lovesick number seven was different i mean the whole series is different uh, not for kids, not in a million years, not for the squeamish of any way. Um, I was very disappointed that you got to a point where it looked like Domino really just wanted it to be eaten by Jack. Um, that's like all she cares about, that's all she's ever done this for, is that she wanted to be eaten by Jack because she has this weird fetish about that. Um, but then Jack is like obsessed with having her realize that he's given her all these worshippers and stuff. And then the trio of American boys, I think this takes place in Europe somewhere, the trio of American boys from the previous issue who are her new biggest fans become the new um, snuff movie candidates, I guess. Um, and we find out basically that this entire thing is because Domino wants to end up in the situation where somebody kills her. 
because uh, as a child she saw a snuff video of somebody getting their throat slit and from that moment on like that was her one desire in life was to get violently murdered on film so that's a thing i guess that people uh enjoy but that uh, so then um in the end, we were. It's revealed that Domino doesn't ever have sex with her candidates, the ones that she goes and kills afterwards. She just like mothers them for a little bit, like empath. Not in a weird. I mean, it is very weird, but um, the way it's described is they're not incels; they're outcasts looking to choose their own path from the world that rejects them. Which is a little bit RM14, and this is deep. But I mean, this whole series is pretty wacky. So what are you gonna do? Uh, and then Jack ends up mixing pills with booze and goes a little bit crazy. The girls knock him out. I think he ends up getting rescued in the end. Um, and it just kind of ends. Uh, Luana Vecchio is the creator of this series, and she wrote at the end, I read her, her final statement there as the creator. Um, she wrote at the end, basically, like, this isn't the end for Domino. You know, I, I like Domino, the character, too much to... Um, to just let it go like that. So she's going to come back eventually and do more. So I guess I'll have to see that because that was not a, a great ending, but as you know, I, I also agree with Luana Vecchio in her note when she says she's not, she doesn't feel like she has to, like it's her job to explain the ending to the readers. So fair enough. That's genuinely fair enough. <laughs> uh, Grim number 10 is the final issue before it goes on hiatus until I want to say July or September or something like that. Um, in this issue, Marcel's soul is sent to hell. So Eddie tries to defend him slash his honor and he gets attacked. They all end up fighting and then magically sent off into the middle of nowhere in the rain. Um, Jess and Eddie get betrayed by the third Reaper who was with them and they get sent to Adira, who of course is the villain in this story, the head Reaper who really put all of this stuff in motion. Adira just wants to be the real Grim Reaper, whatever that would take, I guess killing Jess is my guess. Um, and then on the other side of things, we have Jess's convict mother, who we met a couple issues ago, Lila. She makes a deal with somebody who turns out to be the personification of life itself. Um, she sells him the amulet that she has, which seems to combine him with death or give him death's power or something like that. But in any case, he's very excited. Um, and that's how this arc ends. As we come to the end of a month, things always kind of seem to pop out in the news about what's coming in for comic books. So we're going to be covering a lot of that for the month, for the month of July, as well as for Free Comic Book Day. But uh, first off, we had some announcements of uh, two series that are coming in September. The first is a Power Girl series written by Leia Williams, which is going to be spinning supposedly, I guess, out of the Power Girl special, the one shot that's coming in the next month or so. Uh, so that's really exciting. I've very much enjoyed what they've been doing with Power Girl, bringing her back into continuity, that whole Justice Society, I mean, the Justice Society series, um, the JSA series. I've really, really been digging that. Um so that'll be really cool that she'll, I, I think it's ongoing. Don't quote me on that. We'll have to wait a little bit probably to see more details. There's also going to be a Fire and Ice series. It'll be called Fire and Ice Welcome to Smallville. Fire and Ice are the demi-queer, I guess I should say, because that's never really been confirmed, but everybody ships them together. Um, <laughs> uh, super heroines who 
it was what was it just yeah i guess just justice society and justice league international back in the 80s is when they kind of had their heyday in comics um and so now they're coming back they kind of got i think a little bit of a fan resurgence when tom king put them both in um his human target book which was excellent um so that's what I am crediting to that because I, I don't think they've appeared anywhere else. Um, and suddenly they're getting a possibly ongoing series. So it'll be really fun. I don't remember who's writing it. I don't, I didn't put that information down, but you know, September's on it's September is a heck of a long way away. We'll cover that more when it comes. I've also been very critical about the ending of Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel run. Um, and I read a little blurb this week from a fan, a longtime fan of Carol and longtime comic fan, um, that kind of made me feel a little bit better about it, but at the same time, eh, you can take it how you will. What they say is, I tell people that House and Powers of X brought me back into a comic store, but Captain Marvel brought me back to comics. Zarsky and Chiquetto's Daredevil, Ewing and Bennett's Immortal Hulk, and Kate's and Segman's Venom absolutely helped, but those first couple of arcs with Thompson and Carnero were something special. Naturally, I'm sad to see this go, but I can't say it's entirely unexpected. By my counting, this is the longest a single writer has been on the current ongoing between the big two, even counting Zartsky's various Daredevils minus Devil's Reign, but that's all but that's also all apparently ending in August. After other endings, cancellations, discontinuings, what have you coming up, I think Percy's X-Force and Wolverine, solicited to be number 41 and 34 respectively, and the four post-Empire Star Wars books, numbers 35 and Dr. Aphra 33, will be the longest going. At DC, you have Nightwing coming to 28 issues by Taylor and Action Comics coming to 28 by Philip Kennedy Johnson, then it drops to below 20. All to say, I think the fact that she hit 50 says a lot about how good this run has been. Even if she's not taking the undisputed crown on the series' length, Thompson has been proud, has a lot to be proud of here. Hopefully she'll see another title soon, either adding to one of my favorite characters as lore or giving me a new favorite. And hopefully Marvel can find somebody else of take, capable of taking Carol higher, further, and faster. Fair enough. Although, ASM... How long was there a single writer with no breaks? I mean, probably, I mean, Dan Slott was on there for like 10 years. So there's always, there's always something that, <laughs> not quite the longest, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, not terrible. You want to talk about Spider-Man? Speaking of Spider-Man, local, local, recent Spider-Man. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, go oh, to yeah. your comic shop and pick it up. Um, no, this uh, there, there as always. There's there's discourse on Amazing Spider-Man and you know the, the decisions made on the book, whether whether MJ or Peter will will they or won't they, whatever it is, you know. Um, the, what I was telling our the guy at our comic shop was that what I've come to realize a little bit, probably like during the Dan Salt run, is just to read it as it's a soap opera and then it's more enjoyable which is really sad to say um but more so this Zeb Wells run has been particularly polarizing for fans is what I'll say um so the the gist of it is I I mean I'm sure you guys have seen the Paul memes if you're like in tune to the comic community (laughs) um 
I, I think they're hilarious. Um, I've, I've, <laughs> I've kind of started to partake in them too. They're great. Just because it's it's some random guy named Paul is now with MJ and they have two kids. Um, <laughs> and the way they explain it is awful. The way yeah, the way they explain it is truly horrendous. Not even kidding. It's something that I'm surprised that like the higher ups at Marvel even allowed. Yeah, like, even allowed. And the fact <laughs> that they talk about you know the reason why they can't have other writers do certain things is that this is a billion dollar character, but then they okay these choices they did. <laughs> Um, so the main, cons- the main question that everybody's had is why is, why are Peter and MJ not together after they literally just ended the run, uh, before this by, um, Nick Spencer. Married, right? They were engaged. They were yeah. like engaged. They're like, yeah, fuck it. We're going to get back together. And then all of a sudden, fast forward a year, she has two kids with this random guy named Paul. Um, I immediately thought that it was something to do with like, the Forever Gate and the Fantastic Four somehow, some way, they get she gets time displaced, you know, separated. She gets stuck there. He goes back. I was pretty much right. Um, <laughs> so it tied back to some guy during the J. Michael Krasinski run um, named Rabin. Basically, what it is is he, I don't know, it was some weird like early two thousands thing where he basically was this guy who threw via math like, you know, math equations figured out how to tap into, like, old ancient god potential. Whatever. Um, he marked uh, MJ and Peter to come back someday somewhere. That was, like, in 2006? <laughs> um, and so, out of, of all the things for, like, Zell Wells to pull from, I, the only reason I think he pulled from this specifically is he was trying to do the thing that he was trying to, like, one-up Nick Spencer and go, like, well, I can pull an even deeper cut than you and do this. Nick Spencer wasn't doing it just so he could pull deep cuts. He was like, there's this thing as a Spider-Man fan, I've kind of had this weird concern that I want fixed, which is what he did. He went through and fixed a lot of, like, weird inconsistencies that we had, which is why I liked his run. Um, but Zeb Wells doing it was just, it didn't, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was literally just, I want to see if I can pull a deep cut and show how cool I am. <laughs> um, so he ends up coming back. Since he did Mark, Peter, and MJ, he ends up taking them back. To, it's it's some weird futuristic timeline where, like, of of course, New York's a wasteland, and there's like these weird creatures running around. It's like Kelly Thompson's The End, Pretty Captain much. Marvel. The End. There's a lot of the ends. Yeah. Um. And so, like, Peter and MJ are there for like a week. They're they're like scavenging, looking for food, and then all of a sudden, this creature comes out and chases them. And Peter, as strong as he is, can't fight it. Some random dude named Paul shows up. Not even kidding. This is like, this isn't me. I swear this isn't me setting up a meme. This is literally the fucking comic. Um, some random dude named Paul shows up and goes like, oh yeah, you gotta mess up his synchricity and then throw it off and then you can beat it. Literally the words from the fucking book. Um, so then he saves them and they go back. And then all of a sudden he's like, yes, this place is all about uh synchricity and things, you know, synchronizing up together perfectly. And then somehow I found this spider tracer here. Not made by Peter, not made by anybody there. Somehow he just found it there. And Peter and Peter goes, oh yeah, it's spider related, so I know how to work on it. You know, whatever. Just, you can see where I'm going. It's just like, really bad writing just set up to serve the one thing that they wanted Mary Jane to move on with Paul. So anyways, Peter, Peter makes a thing. This thing comes up to, the god comes back to take Peter as a sacrifice because he marked him and MJ. So MJ, so he wants to send MJ back and sacrifice himself. She sends him back. Peter gets sent back to the current 616 timeline. And then and then all of a sudden he comes as he lands, he ends up setting off a bomb because somehow, some way, him traversing through this dimension set off a bomb and now Captain America and the government are after him. <laughs> Please stay with me, guys. This I've I am groaning and rolling my eyes the same way you are. Um 
So, and then now, instead of, you know, going to his extended family, the Fantastic Four, he goes in to break into their lab and steal stuff instead of going... Because you guys remember the last time that Peter had something extra, you know, dimensional terrestrial happen to him. What do you go? He went to them and said, hey, check out this black suit that I have, Reed. Can you help me out? He doesn't do that. Uh, he just goes in and breaks and says, i got to get back to the MJ and I can't tell you and doesn't tell them why. Goes in there and steals that. Cap's like, hey, man, can we, like, touch bases with you and make sure you're okay and you're the real Peter? I don't have time for this. And he punches Cap and runs away. I mean, it's just... <laughs> what doesn't make any sense Peter is the guy who would go to his friends like literally Cap who was with him not even what is it a year ago helping him rehabilitate getting back learned helping him learn how to walk and work out and his Fantastic Four is literally his extended family and he just doesn't tell them anything just steals stuff and runs okay so anyways a week has passed he now so then he has nothing left he stole the thing from the Fantastic Four now he has this piece that he has back on him he's trying to get back to MJ so does he go to his old buddy Norman <laughs> Of all the people in the fucking world, he explains the thing to Norman, and Norman helps him. The guy who, you know, has killed his best friend, has killed his girlfriend, uh, has killed his Aunt May, has tried to kill Mary Jane and him numerous times, tells him everything. So they build this Saudi suit and sends him back. And a week has only passed in, you know, normal 616 timeline. So he gets back, and his MJ's there, and he goes to save her. And then all of a sudden, I guess 10 years has passed, because now she has kids, and then she's in love with Paul, and they have two children together. The main thing that I was saying that why did the higher-ups approve this, this is literally Stockholm Syndrome. Like, it's it's without a shadow of a doubt. MJ was stuck in this place that she was forced to be with this guy. There's no such thing as consent in that, and they're just okay with that. I have a perfect tweet of somebody who who uh, who replied to that, to Zeb Wells. Um, Zeb Wells, and he also tagged Niccolo. Um, I, I think it describes perfectly, and he wasn't the only person to point this out on this thread. Hey, Nick, MJ being isolated and trapped with someone isn't a place she can, quote, move on. There's no, possi there's no possibility for uncoursed consent in that situation. So I'm asking, did you not realize that this comment comes off as MJ having to get Stockholm Syndrome and sexually assaulted? Prime perfect. Um, I think that describes it so well, and... It's just so tone deaf, and at this point, it's starting to feel like Nick Lowe and Zeb Wells are writing a weird fan fiction for Spider-Man that's only for them. Yeah, I haven't heard anything good about it, and I've seen the Paul memes. And to add to the to the not greatness of how the series has been going, just the John Romita Jr. has a legacy of great oh, art, but good lord, this is the worst John Romita Jr. art I think that exists. <laughs> really not good. Um, like, I just, I don't know, it doesn't fit, doesn't seem to fit the story, aside from the weird scripting <laughs> and the weird art, I don't know. Um, really, I don't see a whole lot of positives for any, any of that, really, that you've explained. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, they said apparently all this is going to wrap up in issue 26, um. I would like for them to for them to introduce a new creative team. Um, but yeah, the only real way that I think we're going to get change on the Amazing Spider-Man books is if people just quit hate reading these. Um, I don't hate read just like I said, I read I treat it as a soap opera. I can have my gripes, but the people who are who are genuinely getting upset and going online and losing their mind over this and sending weird threats just just take it off your pull list, man, and, and don't read it for a while. Or, you know what, if it's really that bad, just go back and read some older stuff of your favorite runs. Um, you know, I still have a little bit of hope for this. Um, 
you know, I would love to see somebody else come on. But yeah, that was my thoughts on it. Nice. Thank you. So now comes the part where I will start announcing or uh, informing you of what it is to look forward to in comics, starting with the series that are going to be kicked off or uh, have one shots across various publishers through the month of May. Um, starting off with Marvel, we have the number ones for Silk, which I know is going to be a five. Carnage Reigns, Alpha, Cult of Carnage, Misery, Demon Wars, Secret Sin, which is actually the final issue of the Demon Wars saga, but I digress. Edge of Spider-Verse, Groot, Spider-Man 2099, Dark Genesis, Star Wars Return of the Jedi Lando, which is actually a one-shot, Extreme Venomverse, The Avengers has a new series kicking off, Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider, Daredevil and Echo miniseries, as well as Fury and Storm miniseries series is. At DC Comics, you have the Dawn of DC We Are Legends Special Edition, which I believe is a free comic. Uh, begrudgingly, Batman White Knight presents Generation Joker. Gotham Academy Maps of Mystery. Green Lantern starts a series, as does Spirit World. And Batman the Brave and the Bold. Cyborg, there's the Dawn of DC Primer, which I believe is free. Titans number one, Plus number ones for The Vigil, Sin City Boy, The Power Girl Special, there we go, Power Girl Specials this month, and DC Pride 2023, which, by the way, today is the last day to order that, so sorry if you watch this too late for that. But uh, Jen Bartell has another fantastic Harl Ivy cover. Can't believe I said that out loud. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy cover. <laughs> um, really, really cool. I think this is the third... Yeah, this will be the third year that she's done the DC Pride covers of the two of them, so I will definitely be looking for that one. From Image, we have kickoffs for series called Star Signs, Something Epic, and Supermassive, which is the what they call the massive verse. It's the, you know, um, Radiant Black and Radiant Pink, all those ones. Uh, they're like, I guess, team book is what I think it is. From Dynamite, good old Dynamite. Kong the Great War, Disney Villains Maleficent, which I think is a one-shot, Elvira in Monsterland, and Vampirella versus the Superpowers, which is the continuation of what was previously Vampirella, uh, Vampirella and Red Sonia, or possibly Vampirella versus Red Sonia, the one where they were, you know, superheroes. Ghost Lore is coming from Boom. Animal Castle Volume 2 is coming from Ablaze, and Dark Horse has Survival, Murder Incorporated, Jagger Rose, and Miss Truesdale and the Fall of Hyper Hyperborea. From Scout, they're giving us Impossible Jones slash Holly Days, Keepers of the Cosmos, Katrina's Caravan, The Night of La, La Lechuza? Lechuza, Drexler, and Sudden Death. Arcade King's cart starts from Skybound, and then IDW gives us kickoffs for Dark Spaces, Good Deeds, Star Trek Echoes, Catfight, eh, and The Rocketeer. This month, at the end of this April month, we have gotten to see what is coming in July for comics. So I have some of the more exciting things that are starting in the big two in July. For Marvel Comics, we have Captain Marvel Dark Tempest, which is kicking off by Anne Nocenti and Paolo Vianelli, uh, which is going to be a five-issue series. Cosmic Ghost Rider is ending, and Doctor Strange has issue number five, which is notably Umar's Wedding. Hellcat has issue five of five, and Immortal X-Men number 13 focuses on Doug Ramsey. 
Rogue and Gambit also has five of five. Silk, two of five. She-Hulk number 15, a Thor annual and a new Blade series by Brian Hill and Elena Casagrande. The X-Men have their Hellfire Gala. There's plenty of names on that list of creators. Uh, then we're going to do Fallen Friend, which we don't know what that is yet. Marvel says they're going to revealing that on May 31st, so mark your calendars, I suppose. Then Captain America hits 750. Marvel Age number 1000 is coming uh, as a massive commemorative issue. And Moon Knight City of the Dead is getting a five-issue series by David Pepose. Or Pepose? I'm so sorry. Marcelo Fiera. And it's going to have a Rod Reese cover. We know Rod Reese is fantastic. Moving over to DC Comics briefly before we get uh, towards free comic book day. Night Terrors is going to be kicking off, led by Joshua Williamson, which is eh, shaky in my opinion. Um, the basic rundown of Night Terrors, what I've got here is uh, the description they gave, or the solicitation they gave it, which is from the voice of Dead Man, right? Okay. Hello, ghouls and ghosts. This is Boston Brand, a.k.a. Dead Man, and I'll be your supernatural tour guide across the Night Terrors stories. After that fancy special oversized issue you have to read first, oh, whatever... The whole world is trapped inside their nightmares, and Batman and I are trying to figure out who Insomnia really is, and why he wants the revenge on the heroes of the DC Universe. Okay, so then we get two shots uh, across July for each of the following. Action Comics, Angel Breaker, Batman, Black Adam, Catwoman, Detective Comics, The Flash, Green Lantern, Harley Quinn, The Joker, Nightwing, Poison Ivy, Punchline, Ravager, Robin, Shazam, Superman, Titans, Wonder Woman, and Zaytana. And then a one-shot called First Blood. <laughs> We're also getting, in July, a Hot Girl series, which is going to be by Jadzia Axelrod. Uh, it's going to be a six-issue series. And a new Teen Titans, which is actually going to be a retrospective sort of thing, spinning out of the pages of Batman Superman World's Finest, comes a modern retelling of the early adventures of the original Teen Titans. So nothing new. But it is going to be by Mark Wade and Emma Lupacino, who are both fantastic. There'll be six issues. Superman, The Last Days of Lex Luthor has a black label title coming by Mark Wade again uh, and creator Brian Hitch with three issues that'll be having. It says that Superman, Superman learns Lex Luthor is dying and he wants the Man of Steel to help him find the cure for whatever is causing his rapid decline. While the world wants to say good learnings to Lex Luthor, Superman will go to the ends of the universe through different dimensions and across time to save his foe. But just why does he want to save the person who spent his life trying to destroy him? And will he even be able to find the solution? We're also getting Batman Beyond Neo-Gothic number one, Dark Knights of Steel, 12 of 12, which is Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri. And we're going to be getting a second series of this at some point in the future. So this is not the true end. Also getting a print edition of Harley Quinn Black, White, and Redder. Uh, which is going to be six issues. The previous Black, White, and Red was digital first, so I'm glad this one is not. Give it its proper uh, views. And then Tales of the Teen Titans is more 1980s classic Tales of the Teen Titans. Um, original stories, though. So if you love the Titans, I guess May is going to be a great month for you. No, wait, this is July. July is going to be a great month for you. Free Comic Book Day is coming this Saturday, May 6th. 
what is free comic day? Yes, it's a day where the comic shops have a lot of free comics that they're giving out, but that's not really the point. The point is to shine a light on local comic book stores and retailers, giving fans extra reason to go out and check out local shops. Shops almost always put on special sales for the day, and they do have to pay a small amount for the comics that they're giving out free to fans, so make sure to step out and step up and support your local shop, not only by getting the free-to-you comics, but by taking advantage of your time there and supporting the shop financially as much as you were reasonably able to. It is more or less started by Diamond Publishers and Diamond Distributors. Um, the funny thing is that, yeah, there's Diamond isn't the only printing and uh, pub distributor anymore. I think Marvel's at Penguin, um, and I want to say DC's at Scholastic or something like that. Um, but still, they seem to have made some kind of, I'm sure, financial deal <laughs> where Marvel and DC are still involved in Free Comic Book Day with just as much as the rest of them are. So here are some of the titles and the publishers putting out projects. From Rebellion, 2000 AD, Regenerous presents the best comic ever. From Ablaze, Animal Castle number one. From Viz, Animal Crossing and Kirby Manga Mania. Archie has Archie Horror presents the Cursed Library. Marvel is putting out Avengers slash X-Men. Graphics Comics is Babysitter's Little Sister and Karen's Haircut. It's a tongue twister. Viz Media has Shujin X and Rooster Fighter. DC Comics has Clark and Lex slash Fan Club Batman Squad. Titan Books is putting out Conan the Barbarian, Love Gleason's Crime Buster, and DC again with the Dawn of DC Night Terrors number one. Another graphics comics with Dogman and the League of Misfits. Fantagraphics is putting out Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. Good lord, they like their Fs. Image has Fish Flies. Opus has Frazettaverse. DC Comics again is Girl Taking Over a Lois Lane Story. Free Comic Book Day Special Edition, so it's probably an excerpt of an upcoming graphic novel. Ten Speed Press is doing I Am Stan, number one, which is a graphic novel biography about Stan Lee, and I'm sure has plenty of good things to say, if not necessarily accurate. First Second Books has Investigators, all tied up sneak peek. Arcana Studio does Koto Kotora. And then we have a reprint of The Last Comics on Earth. Marvel is also doing a reprint of Marvel's Voices, Boom Studios, Met Cadet Special, Kodansha's Miraculous Lovely Muko. Then Action Comics has Princeless, Oni has Punch-Up, Boom has Ranger Academy, Dynamite's Red Sonia, She-Devil with a Sword number zero. Titan Comics is putting out RuneScape, Untold Tales, God Wars, Aftershock is Seismic Stories, Valiant is Shadow Man, Kodansha is, again, Shaman King Flowers, and Welcome to Demon School. Paper Cuts has Smurfs, Marvel has two more titles, Spider-Man Venom, and then Spidey and His Amazing Friends, which is for young readers. IDW puts out a new Star Trek, Star Trek series called Day of Blood. Dark Horse has a new Star Wars series, which is going uh in the higher it's going in the issue with the last airbender from Avatar. Udon is publishing Street Fighter 6 number 0, which is an introduction to new characters that will appear in the new game. And then Random Comics has Sweet Valley Twins and Teacher's Pet. 
IDW again with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tokyo Pops Nightmare Before Christmas, Gemstones Overstreet Guide to Collecting Comics, and then Image with The Sacrificers, wrapping it up with American Mythology and Tom Holland's Fright Night, not that Tom Holland, Dark Horse with Umbrella Academy and Witcher, and then Vault with West of Sundown. So those are the titles, all of the titles coming for free comic book day. Yes, your shop will probably be getting all of them. No, you will not be getting all of them uh, because almost every shop has rules about how many you're allowed to take because they only get so many anyway. And as I said, they do have to pay a small amount for these free to you comics. So definitely... Don't just go there to pick up comics. A lot of shops even have rules about that. They will not give you, sometimes, uh, the free comics if you don't make a purchase just because they have to pay for the lights somehow. As for what's coming out this first week of May, um, on the regular comic book Wednesday, new comic book week, May 3rd, uh, a bunch of number ones, which I somewhat have already mentioned, uh, but from Image, Star Signs number one, uh, and then there's Monomyth number one, Lamentation number one, Frank Frazetta's Mothman, Animal Castle volume two, Black Sheep, Survival, and then there's the Dawn of DC We Are Legends special edition, which I think is premiering a couple of their Asian superhero series that are coming out later this month. Uh, we've already talked about Demon Wars Scarlet Sim as Sin, <laughs> Sin, Sin as the final Demon Wars installment from Peach Momoko. And then uh, Spider-Man 29 Dark Genesis. Groot is going to be one of four. Edge of Spider-Verse is introducing us to new characters. And then the Lando one-shot. Uh, we're also doing Cold of Carnage Misery, Carnage Reigns Alpha, X-Men Before the Fall, Sons of X, which is one of four one-shot prequels to the upcoming Orcus vs. Krakoa X-Men event, which is Before the Fall, which is happening in summer. Or, no, X-Men The Fall is happening in the summer, which... Let's be honest, should have happened in the fall for obvious pun reasons. Uh, Hairball number two is also coming from Dark Horse. Immortal X-Men number 11 brings the series back finally after the sinister stuff they were doing. Love Everlasting has issue seven from Image. And then Poison Ivy number 12. I really haven't been feeling great about G. Willow Wilson's writing about queer people, though. Um, because she's having Ivy just she she um you know she reunites with harley and then she goes and has sex with a bunch of different people the next day that's just not an accurate representation of queer relationships i don't think the two of them have ever said that they're exclusive but the what the, the assumption would be either way um don't miss the jenny frizzen covers that are still coming on poison ivy every other issue as for tv and movies uh, things that are new and noteworthy this spring anime season. I am also I have recently also started watching The Aristocrats Otherworldly Adventure, Serving Gods Who Go Too Far, which is about like a kid who gets reincarnated and gets way too much power and has to hide it. Dead Mount Death Play, I don't honestly recall what that one was about, but I think I liked it. I got a cheat skill in another world and became unrivaled in the real world too is, I think, self-explanatory. And it was very nice, enjoyable first episode. And then the aristocrats' otherworldly adventure serving gods who- Oh, I already said that one. I listed that one twice. Anyway, uh, current live-action stuff that I've been watching that's returned. Citadel was on Amazon, which I cannot make up my mind about because it was obviously not great. 
but you have so many good actors in it. <laughs> um, it just, I think it just felt kind of generic, maybe? It's only two episodes, so we'll see how the rest of it goes. It comes out weekly. And then From is back with season two. I've seen the first two episodes now. Really, really loved the first season. Very much in the style of Lost, like almost to a T, <laughs> just like Lost. Um, but I, I, I really enjoy that style of show. What can I say? So this is... And this season has got me really... There's only been one thing that I haven't liked. And has to do with bugs under skin. Because that's just my own thing. I don't like that at all. But um, yeah, that's... I'm super excited about from season two. I've also tried watching Talentless Nana, which was okay. And I really, really tried with Eminence and Shadow. But it's just... It's too stupid. It was so dumb. I could not get over how dumb of a show it was. Um, and then the Quintessential Quintuplets movie came out on Crunchyroll. And so I watched that. It was cute. Um, and yes, there is going to be more quintessential quintuplets content coming in the future, so don't feel like that's the end, because it's not. There is very little coming, honestly, by way of news and announcements. Uh, real quick, Strange New Worlds is doing season two, which I'm very excited for. It'll be coming out June 15th. I talked about the series last season episodically, so I'll probably do the same this season. Uh, we have not been talking about the second half of Titan Season 4, which is the last couple of episodes, um, but we saw a clip of one of the recent episodes, which was really cool, and that was um, basically Beast Boy, like spoiler alert, I guess, but basically Beast Boy um, figures out how to use the red to traverse the multiverse, pretty much. Um, so you got to see him that with the you know the Teen Titans animation animated universe. He meets Cyborg from Doom Patrol. Um, I think there was what was it Star Girl was another one. Yes, yeah, yeah. Star Girl, and then um... uh, and then there was the the best one, obviously, indisputably the best one was uh, suddenly you see there in their, what is it, Scottish home? Yeah, yeah, in Scotland. Was Grant Morrison, uh, which was really awesome for a lot of reasons. Obviously, Morrison did a lot of work with characters like the Titans and everything. Um, but the line that is used, none of... He he did it. Beast Boy did interact with some of the other characters as well, um, but this one was really cool because it was a line from Animal Man, which of course is Grant Morrison's whole. Did Grant Morrison create the create Animal Man, or did he just? Did no, they, just, they, okay. they just. I think they just wrote them. Okay, yeah. but that's that's one thing that is like very much credited towards Morrison is is that character's kind of arc and development, um, very much well known for having done Animal Man. Uh, so the line that they use, they turn, they look at Beast Boy through the portal kind of thing, and they look, first of all, has a hand-drawn map of Grant Morrison's multiverse, the way that <laughs> that was done a couple of years ago, gosh, probably more than 10 years ago now at DC. The most bonkers stuff, I remember looking at that map and being like, how could anybody come up with this? <laughs> and he's got like, more sorry, they've got like um, scribbles of it on the on the paper they're holding when they turn around and see Beast Boys looking through them, looking at them through the portal. And, and they say, I see you. Do you see me? Which is a Animal Man reference. Yes. And you have something that I know you want to talk about that as well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the uh, the, the Animal Man run was just like a very cerebral like take on not just superheroes, but comics as a medium as a whole. Um, that that was that's what Grant Morrison's really good at like deconstructing and like really looking at things. Um, that was a lot of it. So there's like a, there was like a couple times wherever like 
animal men will like freak out um in the fantastic Brian Boland art uh, he'll just like he'll flip the page and the next one will be like him turning around cuz i can see you can you see me that whole thing of him like oh being aware of who he is and there's another one wherever um he's like he like tries to stop like Brian Boland's hand from coming down to draw the next page <laughs> um it's really good i highly recommend it and i saw it i saw people i saw it trending on twitter so it's good to see like people are going back to that mm-hmm. cuz I, I highly, I, I'm not even kidding when I say you could probably grab like almost anything Grant Morrison has ever written and it'd actually be good and enjoyable regardless if it's Marvel, DC, or some other indie stuff. Um, and especially if anything they've done with Frank Quietly, I can probably guarantee you it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was really cool to see and awesome that, oh, and then the thing at the end, mm-hmm. um, what was it, the the true creator of the multiverse? The true master of the multiverse. The true master master of the multiverse. Special thanks to Grant Morrison, true yeah. master of the multiverse. Fantastic, I love that. Um, it's a shame that DC hasn't done much of anything with the multiverse well, stuff. Well, they wiped it out, and now they've brought it back. So yeah, they can really, again. <laughs> which is really annoying, because the whole thing of that amazing, grandiose thing that Grant Morrison did is they came to them, and they were like, hey, we need you to like launch DC off into a new thing to where different creative teams can come in and have a wealth of stories to write from. That's literally what they did. They created the multiversity, all the different universes, mapped Mm -hmm. them out, different teams, Detective Chimp, the detective group, all of that, Mm -hmm. and just kind of fizzled out. So just like you said, yeah, hopefully they're going to go into that more. And Yeah. yeah. Now that it's back to existing again. Well, yeah, and especially now that, like, I think I said it last on the last episode of, like, Hollywood kind of, like, giving their middle finger to, like, the editorial teams. And it's Mm -hmm. good to see that, like, they're like, no, 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 that's actually great. I don't know why they're not using that. We're Mm going to use that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it was just lots of cool stuff to have in there. And eventually we'll probably catch up on Titans. Yeah, eventually. Once once it's said and done. (laughs) Yeah. The only trailer that was really noteworthy this week that came out was for the Flash, the upcoming DCU Flash movie with everybody, with a lot of people in it. Um, my, I, 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 I'll start, you're going to talk about what you think about it, but I'll start with my thing because my thing, I don't, I, I think the first trailer looked better. I think this trailer looked kind of mid and the lines of this trailer were more mid. Um <laughs> But, you know, the thing that really that really is getting me about this whole concept of this movie is Michael Keaton's Batman from 1980s Batman universe suddenly in this other world is what we're in this in this world where things are like amalgam of other stuff, other universes. How is this guy going to fight anything close to Kryptonian? He fought the penguin who was just a little guy with some cool weapons. Like, and he could barely handle that. <laughs> um, how is he gonna? How is he gonna have any role in this movie besides just immediately getting wiped out? I just somebody made a joke about it on Twitter, and I just have had that thought running through my head. I've been like, nineteen eighties Michael Keaton Batman in the middle of twenty sixteen Zack Snyder artistic, you know, moments, <laughs> whatever he wants to call them. I just think it's funny to think about. What do you have to say about the Flash trailer? Um, It's pretty much Flashpoint. Oh, yeah. Um, well, well, yeah. That's why I accidentally called it Flashpoint. Yeah, no, they're, they're literally <laughs> doing that. Um, I'm I'm personally excited for it. I think it looks awesome. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, It's cool to see all of them come back. I really would, I mean, depending on how she is in this movie, I really would like to see Sasha Kelly be the new Supergirl and then the one they based the movie off of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, uh, and I totally think that we're going to have a, a thing of, like, an evil Barry Allen or something like that. One of them goes bad. Oh, yeah, um, that was, like, yeah, there was a whole leaked thing. But... There was, like, a whole, like, leaked toy or something about that. Um, Crypto but, Barry. But, yeah, and I think that this this thing, I, I would love for it, a great troll, is that, like, somehow, like, you know, they reset the timeline or whatever, and it fucking ends with, like, George Clooney is now Batman. <laughs> You know, great thing because because you that got would be you unexpected. Got, you got Ben Affleck coming back. You got Keaton coming back. Why not just have fun with it and just have him show up too? Because there's like the whole thing now. Like even still to this day, I saw somebody. I saw something about it. Like it's still a meme. Yeah. Well, if you go to him and say like, "Hey, I saw Batman and Robin and it sucked," he will literally pull out twenty dollars and give it to you right there on the spot. Like. That's amazing, and it's still funny. <laughs> for your troubles, sir. Yes, for your troubles, <laughs> and then the fact that he's even aware of that, it would be just so fun to see him, like, just come back and be like, even if it is just, like, them, like, uh, even if it could be, like, a la the Beast Boy thing, like, it briefly just, this is alternate timelines that Barry has gone through and tried to bring back his mom and other times and things went different, it just kind of flashes to that or something. Wasn't Batman and Robin the one that was with Poison Ivy, though? Yeah. That was literally my favorite one of the whole group. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but, Not because it was good. But Not the, really, the, no. The only reason I think that the Keaton thing works is because they said that, like, Barry going in and, like, saving his mom fucked up a lot of the timeline. So things probably move differently, and this is... They're probably going to somehow, like, he, oh, he's not as old as he is because somehow, <laughs> some way or something. Um, and I'm really interested to see how they do the the Supergirl thing because what I'm thinking is it's going to be we kind of like saw brief traces of it. She landed but didn't land in um, Smallville. She landed probably near a government facility and they kept her exactly locked the Flashpoint Superman plot. And and I'm willing to bet that like you know the Zod stuff happens and that Michael Keaton Batman knew about her the whole time and is like oh yeah I'll break her out now. That's 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 what I'm getting from the trailers. But yeah, it's, it's I'm really interested to see how this is going to work out. And and it would really be funny to see. I just want to see how this works out and why they're still they still kept Ezra Miller and why they were like, yes, we're gonna put this one in theaters and see how it does. Um, or the two funny things: either like George Clooney comes back or uh, Ezra Miller gets replaced by Rami Malik. Either two hilarious things. That's I really <laughs> I, I I've thought the recasting theories have been pretty hilarious to be honest because yeah. it's always. Like, (laughs) with the exception of a couple of people, like, any... Any of the theories of like, oh, what if it's this person? It's like, oh wow, that would be perfect. It's, it's they're all pretty good. Like they're saying <laughs> yeah. it's a joke, but like, no, like seriously, it's not like, a bad idea. Guys. Yeah, Roman Malik is an Academy Award winner. He could totally play that quirky, weird Barry Allen that they've established in the movies. He he came into Hollywood, played King Tut and Night at the Museum, yes. and literally just from that has become blew everybody away and is now like this mythic was he even like, a Bond villain guy who can play fucking anything apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Wholesome Tut and also a Bond villain. Yes. <laughs> and a guy who is losing his mind due to maybe tech and drugs. Oh, yeah, like a genius IT guy, Mr. Yeah. Robot. Yeah. And I'm sure tons of other things that I haven't even seen. But <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I, I, I look forward to the movie because I'm sure it'll be entertaining. But I just have the thing of like, I, I'm not going to be able to take Mike, Michael Keaton serious as Batman. I just, I just won't be able to because of what he is and who he is and literally everything. And the fact that he literally was up for an Oscar for Birdman, a movie about being an actor who can't get away from the one role of being the superhero his entire life. And now we've come full circle. No? Okay. I mean, they probably, what it probably was is that Warner Brothers saw that he did the Spider-Man movie and they're like, wait, you want him to, you can get him to come back and they probably backed up the Brinks truck is what I think. <laughs> <laughs>
To wrap things up on this week's podcast episode, we will talk briefly about some anime news. Um, it is starting off with the Lord of the Rings War of the Rohirrim anime movie, which we heard about probably a year or two ago. It's coming from Kenji Kamiyama, and it is debuting this June at France's NSE, I believe is how you say that, uh, festival, film festival. Uh, but it's not going to be in theaters here in the U.S. or really anywhere else until April of 2024. So we're still about a year out. Uh, April 12th is its release date. It is described as an original anime feature depicting, quote, a legendary battle that helped shape Middle-earth and set the stage for Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. It explores and expands the untold story behind the fortress of Helm's Deep, delving into the life and blood-soaked times of one of Middle-earth's most legendary figures, the mighty King of Rohan, Helm Hammerhand. It is also featuring both new and returning voices from the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. We have an anime that, or manga that is going to be turned into an anime. It is called Youth Story of a Family, or The Four Yuzuki Boys. It's written by Shizuki Fujisawa, and it is coming as an anime this fall. It's the coming-of-age story that follows four brothers from oldest to youngest, the family's breadwinner and school teacher Hayato, the aloof Mikoto, who dotes on Minato perhaps too much, the meek Minato, and the confident first grader Gakuto. Finally, The Do-Over Damsel Conquers the Dragon Emperor is also getting an anime from the original light novels by Sarasa Nagase. There's no date for these, but Cross Infinite World is releasing the novels in English and describes the stories as such. Jill is sentenced to death by the crown prince, her fiancé. God, that's rough. But just before she dies, she sent back in time six years to the party where their engagement had been decided. To avoid this route of ruin... Jill immediately proposes to the person standing behind her, but it's the man who was previously her greatest enemy, Emperor Hadis. Jill knows about his future descent into evil. She quickly retracts the proposal, but the delighted Hadis has taken her back to his castle and makes her a meal. Completely won over by the food. That was easy. Jill makes a life-changing decision. I'm going to reform. No, I'm going to make you happy. It's time to redo this life with your enemy. That's all of my anime news, and that wraps up today's podcast episode of Sensational Shigi live from Yancey Street. Thank you to everybody who listened for whatever amount you were able to listen to. Make sure you check out the links in the description for the podcast notes, as well as anything relevant, including social media, my website, and a fun few articles and things, my YouTube page, all of that fun stuff, plus Adam's uh, Instagram profile if you would like to go and follow him. He posts lots of toy uh, action figure stuff, photography things. Paul memes. And apparently Paul memes. <laughs> I'll be back probably next Sunday or possibly, oh uh, yeah, it'll be after free comic we say. I feel like that makes sense. Uh, so have a great week. Enjoy the cool, the bit of cool in the weather. If you're, you know, anywhere near where I am. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.